Welcome back to Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joining you once again. This is usually the part of a show where I would say that I'm joined by my co-host Colin Haas Hill. But if you listened to the show last week, you know that Colin has left us here at Eleven Warriors. Uh, he's on his way out to Los Angeles to take a job out there on the West Coast. So uh, we certainly wish him all the best in uh, his future endeavors, but the show must go on. So uh, two pieces of good news. The the first piece of good news is that we will have a new full-time co-host here on Real Pod Wednesdays starting next week. So uh, excited to introduce you to him uh, coming up next week. Uh, Somebody who I I think is going to do a great job here at 11 Warriors and uh, continuing on with this show. But for this week, I'm pleased to be joined by the great Kyle Jones here from 11 Warriors, who you all know has been a guest on this show uh, multiple times before and is now our first ever guest host in Real Pod Wednesday's history. So, Kyle, thank you so much for joining me this week. Truly an honor. The first guest host. This is this is really uh, something special. So thanks for <laughs> Thanks for having me on, Dan. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a big deal, but you know, I really think this is the perfect time to have you on too, because we're just a couple weeks away from the start of a season, and you know, I think a lot of people have questions about uh, what this team is going to look like this year. And I think you know, Colin and I have always done a good job, I think, in terms of talking about you know personnel and depth charts and all that kind of stuff, but. Sometimes we get questions about, you know, different schemes and specific stuff like that. And we kind of say we need to have Kyle back on the show because, you know, you're so good at talking about uh, the scheme and about, you know, different, uh, you know, plays, formations, all of that. And, you know, I think really where we have to start this week is with the offense and, and specifically with what the offense might look like around the quarterback, because uh, we did get some news on Monday Ryan Day didn't technically name C.J. Stroud the starting quarterback, but he made it pretty clear where this thing is headed. But by Ryan Day, who throughout the spring had refused to say anything about which quarterback was looking best, who even through the first couple weeks of preseason camp wasn't saying anything, to come out on Monday and say that C.J. Stroud had started to separate from the competition, that tells us that C.J. Stroud is going to be the starting quarterback of this team. And Kyle, I mean, I know from talking to you, you know, even just watching the spring game, I know you had that feel just watching the spring game that he was operating more of the offense than Kyle McCord and Jack Miller were. So I don't think anybody's surprised by this. Certainly, I don't think you're surprised by this. No, it's definitely what we expected coming out of the spring game. And, you know, as as you mentioned, you know, as, as we all watched what happened and granted, you know, that's one practice and every, I love how every college football coach tells us it's one of 15 practices and and we have to pretend that that's the case, even though everybody knows you're publicly putting your people out there and that people are going to write about it and a lot's going to happen there. You know, when I looked at what those three did during the spring game, what CJ showed was the most like what we've seen from Ohio state quarterbacks in the past. And that's what gave me the confidence to say, I think he's going to be the guy come the fall. And what I mean by that is when you really look at what is, what are the elements of the Ohio state passing game, right? And you say, first, there is an element of RPOs. So that is the ability to just take the quick 
uh, one decision, get the ball out of your hand on a quick screen, a quick slant, things like that. Okay, well, CJ was running those in the spring game. Then you say, all right, the quick game, which is, you know, what coaches call those the, the three-step three drops. A lot of times that's, you know, dropping back and quickly, again, getting the ball out, but it's making a decision, making one read. You're not necessarily scanning the field and looking for, you know, your third or fourth read. You're getting the ball out quick. And and those are usually the first two things that you see from young quarterbacks. And as we watched uh, Jack Miller, that was a lot of what Jack Miller was doing. He was really still working a lot of those elements of the quick game you know, some RPOs. And then the next element is the play action. And this is probably the most common piece of the Ohio State offense. And that's just, again, speaks to just the way they run the ball and the focus they put on that and then how that opens up the passing game. And these are the big downfield shots. And especially with guys like Chris Olave, that's a huge, that's going to be a huge part of your offense. And CJ was, you know, his first three plays of the spring game, I believe, were all these three, you know, uh, these deep play action throws downfield which tells you that if they're already putting, asking him to do that in front of fans in Ohio stadium, throwing a pass for the first time, that means they have faith that he can execute those other elements. And then the last element of, of the passing game typically is, you know, the typical drop back. This is your third down. You're not taking a running play. You just got to sit there in the pocket, identify the open man and fire the ball out. It's the most difficult. It's the most complex it's every time we talk about guys going to the NFL, we're pretty much only talking about this aspect. And oftentimes it, it even overlooks the other elements. Um, and CJ was doing that too. Um, you know, obviously a lot of room to grow. We didn't see a ton out of, out of that piece of the offense, um, partially just because of the game situations. Um, but, you know, he was able to execute the, all four phases of the offense, you know, as part of that, that play action game, that also means throwing on the run. If you recall, you know, Justin, uh, you know, fields last year or last two years. We even saw us when he was with the bears uh, last weekend, you know, those, that fake handoff rollout, um, that rollout passing game, CJ was executing that. And so even though he still clearly has places where he can get better based off what we saw in the spring, the fact that they were giving him that much of the game plan and that much of the playbook was a huge signal, especially compared to those other two guys, at least in my book. So, you know, to me, it's it, looking at C.J. Stroud like that. That's not a huge shock to understand that today he's further ahead. I, I think what we want to be careful of is that doesn't mean that he is the best, quote unquote, or the most talented. It just means that right now he is giving Ohio State the best chance to win. It certainly seems like from what, what Day said, uh, based on his ability to execute the, the widest um, array of, of concepts in the playbook. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I agree with you. But I think it's certainly possible. You know, Kyle McCord in time could be better than C.J. Stroud. Quinn Ewers certainly in time could be better than C.J. Stroud. But obviously C.J. Stroud has that additional year uh, of experience at Ohio State within, you know, Ryan Day's system. And, you know, that's I think is certainly giving him an advantage here. It's certainly uh, put him in a position where he's more advanced in terms of his ability to operate the offense then you know I mean obviously Quinn Ewers he just got to campus this weekend but even Kyle McCord even though he's been there since January you know CJ Stroud has that extra year I think that yeah. goes a long way in, in something like this I, I also feel like to me I, I think CJ is the quarterback who is the most comparable to Justin Fields in my opinion I think you know Kyle McCord and Quinn Ewers have bigger arms but I think in terms of that ability 
to extend the play outside of a pocket to, to take off of his legs if he needs to. Now, I don't think he's Justin Fields and, and I, and coaches and even Stroud himself will say that, but he's not quite the runner that Justin Fields is, but I think he's got some of that ability to be able to run those similar kind of plays. When you think about like what, you know, the offense is going to look like this year, like how much of that do you think we'll see? Do you you think we're going to see a a good amount of him, you know, throwing outside of a pocket, making plays on the run, or do you think it is going to be more pocket passing centric this year? No, I think it's a great question. I would be surprised if they did not have the same amount of rollouts. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you look at a lot of the offenses that have similarities in the pro game, and it's clear that, that Ohio State's taken a lot, especially from the run game perspective. And, and these two things are tied, the run game and the pass game. You look at the way this, the Los Angeles Rams and Sean McVay, some of the Kyle Shanahan's concepts. One of the reasons why I said I thought he'd be a great, you know, Justin might be a great fit with Shanahan when, when the, the Niners made that trade. Ultimately, they went with Trey Lance, but, you know, Justin would have fit really well there, too. And part of that is because when you're running that wide zone run game, you've got the offensive line moving laterally. You're blocking laterally. They're all stepping to the side. They're not just running, you know, moving straight forward and trying to push guys backwards. They're moving to the left or moving to the right, which means you're moving the defense to the left or to the right, which means if you just go the other way, you've got a plenty of space right there. And so those two things are tied. And, Unless we see Ohio State go away from that wide zone running game, regardless of who the quarterback is, um, I, I, they're going to keep running that rollout, play action, bootleg scheme. And I, and I, and I think the question becomes, when do, you know, do the, they still have the backs to run? That Trey Sermon was so good at it. Master Teague's had good days and bad days in that scheme. You can make an argument that maybe he's better suited for more of a downhill straight ahead inside uh, you know, running game. But, you know, that, that ability to move the pocket outside, and frankly, I think the thing that people maybe lose sight of is when you roll out like that as a quarterback, you typically, yes, you're moving on the run, but your reads become much easier because you're typically reading deep to short, and it's almost like a straight line where you can say, the guy far downfield, is he open? Nope. All right, what about the next guy? Is he open? Nope. All right, I've got my guy underneath. Okay, if he's open, I'm going to just, you know, dump the ball off to him. And, yes, you're on the move but it's actually a much cleaner, easier read. And that's a huge reason why you see a lot of teams, especially with young quarterbacks incorporated. It's why you see quarterbacks that you may not, especially at the pro level, think are that successful. All of a sudden they get in a system like that and they're throwing for big yards, Kirk Cousins. And, you know, that's because they, they're able to execute these concepts a little bit easier. And, you know, I think that only helps when you have a new quarterback coming in. So, yeah, to your question, I, I think we're going to see a lot of those same elements. Um, Do I think that we'll see CJ necessarily running the ball and designed quarterback options the way that we saw fields do it? Probably not. That's where I think you might see a little bit of a difference. Um, Certainly he's capable, especially in short yardage. Yes, that's, that's definitely still going to be in play. I think we're going to see a lot more of the RPO game this year than we've seen from Ohio state in recent years. Um, It's an easy thing, you know, to, in the sense that it's, one quick read, a lot of Ohio State's RPOs, and this is getting technical, but a lot of RPOs are pre-snap where you just look at where's the guy standing? Where's that defender I'm reading? Is he is he off the ball? Is he closer to the line? Is he lined up over the tight end instead of over the slot? If 
vice versa. You're able to make your decision before the play ever even starts. And as soon as you get the snap, you're either handing it off or firing it out to that receiver really quick. That's a really easy way to get a quarterback comfortable and in rhythm so that they're feeling like they can get the ball out. They can feel the ball getting completed. They get that confidence seeing completions, which only helps them when you start to get into those other phases, you know, the traditional quick game into that drop back passing mentality. So my guess would be, we see a lot more and, and Ohio state actually ran a decent amount of RPOs. I didn't write about it a lot because it typically wasn't a headline or a foundational piece of their offense, but it was there. And so I can see that becoming a bigger part just to help make that transition easier, especially in the first month or so of the season. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely going to be interested to see the play calling here and especially these first couple games against Minnesota and Oregon, like how willing is Ryan day to take shots? How willing is he to, you know, have CJ Stroud throw the ball deep over the middle and take a chance where maybe he, you know, might, might be in a more dangerous position. Like how do you kind of see that playing out in terms of, you know, what, what, how aggressive Ryan day might be early in the year calling plays for a quarterback who has never played before until this year. Yeah. Well, I think that goes back to who else is going to be on the field with him. And if you think about who are, you know, I ask you, Dan, who, who are Ohio state's two best players offensively? Who are you going to tell me? I would say Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. Exactly. And so <laughs> one of those guys is maybe the best deep ball receiver we've ever seen at, you know, at Ohio State and, and certainly the best deep ball receiver in the country in Chris Olave. So, you know, you, you're going to have a lot of confidence that if you throw the ball up there, a 50-50 ball is going to be more of a 70-30 ball, right? We saw this with LSU a couple of years ago when Joe Burrow, and this is not to dismiss or diminish what, what Burrow did, but, you know, that offense was very much throw the ball downfield vertically. And it seemed on tape, you know, if you were just analyzing, you didn't know anything about it, you'd go, these are 50-50 balls. But with Jamar Chase, they were 70-30, they were 80-20. And I think you can say a lot of the same way about Chris Olave. Very different player from Jamar Chase, but similar in the sense that when you're running those deep routes, he's so good at tracking it and so good at adjusting his path to get, you know, the high point and to work and get a work to get away from that defender that – these passes become a little bit less risky than if you're just running, you know, insert a receiver here, right? You know, so uh, I, I can see that, that or I would be shocked personally if Ohio State's not taking shots against Oregon. Minnesota, you know, may, maybe not on the first series, uh, you know, unless they really feel like they've got a great matchup. Uh, and I can't speak to Minnesota's depth chart right now. Um, you know, maybe they're able to scheme up and get Wilson open, you know, running deep against the safety. And that's just a matchup you have to take advantage of. Um, but, you know, I, I think the difference in what you're asking here is when and how often do they dial those up? And I think that's where it's going to be really premeditated. I don't think we're ever going to be going to a trestle ball situation or even, you know, maybe a, an early, uh, you know, urban offense where this, it's really just run, 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 occasional pass. Like this, this offense still is going to attack you downfield. It's what they do. Um, and especially with that wide receiver group that they've built, they didn't build those. They didn't attract all those five-star guys to block. You know, they, <laughs> they're out there for a reason. I'm curious for your perspective too, on kind of what, how you think the coaches might decide to manage the reps for the quarterbacks that aren't CJ trucks. I know, I know we had a little bit of a debate in Slack a few weeks ago and, you know, I, I think, you know, Colin and I probably both disagreed with you that uh, you you don't you didn't think Quinn Ewers is going to play at all this year. 
I, I'm just curious, like, first of all, if that's still your perspective and if so, why? And then, you know, how do you feel like Ohio State is going to uh, maybe split up those reps between Kyle McCord, Jack Miller, and potentially Quinn Ewers? Yeah, I, I think part of that's going to be roster, basic roster management in the sense of who do they think is going to be here next year? Um, you know, it's pretty evident, especially in, the, in the, the way that, you know, the college game is going and the way the transfer portal has changed things that one, if not two of those guys aren't going to be on the roster next year. Right. And I, likely, I think we yeah. can, we can, yeah, I think we can be pretty confident about that. So part of it's going to be understanding and trying to figure out who are those guys, you know, who is that guy, you know, and typically the way you look at roster management, um, you know, you would think it's going to be, you know, Miller who's on the outside looking in because, you know, McCord's a year behind and the plan clearly was yours is a year behind that. And you've got one quarterback per class, which has typically been the way that Ohio State and other other major programs have managed their roster. Um, and all this is to say that I think whoever the number two is, is whoever they want to be the number two next year. Or I'm sorry, whoever they want to be the quarterback in the future. And that could be that they say, hey, Quinn Ewers is so talented that, you know what, we're going to go all in and we're going to say thanks to Jack and to Kyle and thanks for coming and, and we really appreciate it. But we're all in on Quinn Ewers. That could be the case for all, for all we know. I think that's frankly unlikely from the sense of you've also got to get guys ready because CJ Stroud goes down. You don't want the only other guy that's taking snaps as a guy who's, you know, just turned 18 and should probably still be playing high school ball. Right. They've got to get, especially early in the season, they've got to get whoever they think their real number two is. They've got to get him some reps. Cause remember none of these guys have thrown a pass in the stadium. And, you know, to your question and, and the, the debate we had, I just have trouble seeing Quinn Ewers seeing the field in a meaningful capacity this year because of that learning curve that we talked about already, right? You know, learning that offense and getting the chance to really run. It's one thing to get reps in spring practice with the ones. It's one thing to get one, you know, reps with the spring with the ones in fall camp. You're not getting many reps with the first team offense once the season starts. Right. It's not about exposure anymore. It's about winning the game on Saturday. So you're not going to just say, hey, let's let's take the next, you know, 10 minutes and CJ, you sit these plays out. We want Quinn to get a few snaps with the ones. That's not going to happen. Right. Like he's going to be over on the side working with the scout team and and working with the threes and fours. And that's also once he's, you know, digested the playbook, he's if you think about it, he's eight months behind Kyle McCord. And that's not even including the one year of physical development. He's behind Kyle McCord. And Kyle McCord's no slouch either. This is a five-star quarterback who showed in the spring game. He's got a cannon. Yep. Right. So I think it's a little bit premature to just think that those eight months meant nothing. When that was three weeks in the spring where Kyle McCord got lots of good reps. That's a whole off season where he's able to work with the strength and conditioning team, work with his receivers, develop timing and chemistry, even if it is the backup receivers. You know, that's just why where my feelings are in terms of, or you know, what my expectations. Granted, we could be in a late season. I don't have the the schedule in front of me. I think they get Sparty late in the season, right? Maybe you know one of those yep. November games, and OSU's up by forty nine points, and they've already let the backup, the number two, get a couple series in there, and they decide 
sure, let's throw let's throw Quinn Ewers out there in the final final series just to get his feet wet and let him you know play a few snaps. That certainly could happen, but I don't think that we're in a situation where you know CJ Stroud goes down. Let's assume he's the starter week four. Quinn Ewers is not going to be playing, and if he is, Ohio State's in trouble. Yeah, I think that would probably mean that Kyle McCord and Jack Miller have already entered the transfer portal. Yeah, <laughs> right. No, yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I completely agree with you on that point. I mean, I, I think uh, to me, I, I fully expect Kyle McCord to be the number two. I think, you know, you yep. could already see in the preseason that I think Kyle had, had pushed ahead of Jack. And I think he's the one who's pushed CJ the most here in this competition. You know, again, I'm not going to ass- – make assumptions about what Jack might do. But I do think if, mm-hmm. if you're looking at, you know, who, who are the guys other than CJ that are most likely to, you know, be a future starting quarterback at Ohio state, it's it, it certainly Quinn and Kyle, Kyle and Quinn, whichever way you, you want to go with that. And, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I also agree with a point that like, I, I do think like it, it needs to be reiterated, but Kyle McCord is no slouch here. Like I think there's such an assumption that like, there's no way like Kyle McCord could be better than Quinn Ewers. And like Quinn Ewers is a yeah. special, special talent, but like I think Kyle McCord's a special talent too. I think Kyle McCord right. is a future first round NFL draft pick. So to, to just completely rule out the possibility that Kyle McCord could be better than Quinn Ewers. Like I think that's, that is premature. And I do think that he's, you know, go, definitely going to get, you know, more reps than Quinn, uh, you know, early in the season, especially because of the fact that, Quinn is catching up. I, I do think we're going to see Quinn Ewers play at, at some point this year. You know, I think, I think ideally if you're Ryan day, if, if Quinn hadn't just arrived in the middle of August, I think ideally you'd probably try to play it like last year where mm-hmm. you, you try to split for reps as evenly as possible between those two guys, because I think your selling point to those guys. I mean, obviously if you're Ryan day, you're hoping that CJ Stroud is good enough, but he's your starter for the next two years. No question. asked. And so I think ideally the the best case scenario here is you try to keep both Kyle and Quinn happy to to compete the next time this job opens up in two years. And that's going to be tough to do. I don't know if you're going to be able to do it, but I think that's, that's your goal is you're, you're hoping to keep these two guys here in the system here for these next two years. So that, you know, you can have a competition competition between two elite guys in two years. And so I I, yep. I think we're going to see both of those guys. I mean, I think, you know, if Jack sticks around, he, they, they, might, they might try to get him in there too, just to get him some reps, especially in those games, you know, Akron, Tulsa, games like yeah. that. Because like you said, they need guys to be ready. And and, and right. Quinn might not be that guy at any, at any point this year. But I, I do look at McCord as the guy that, like, to me, I, I think – he's probably the guy who should be that next man up whenever yep. you get in that first situation of it's time for the backup quarterback to go in, because I think he is the most likely guy that if Stroud goes down, I think he's most likely the guy that's getting called upon this season to come in and be the next guy. Yep. Yep. Totally agree. I, I thought the way the ball jumped off his hand in the spring game was, it was a pleasant surprise. You know, I, I'm not one of the recruiting guys that, um, you know, follows and, and watches all the, the high school tape. I, I half the, the freshmen I can never remember and keep straight what position they play anymore. Um, but when he came in and he started, he started slinging the ball around in that spring game. I mean, this is a five-star kid for a reason. 
you know, and look, Jack Miller's not a bad quarterback either. You know, I think he's, he's certainly the forgotten guy. And I think people are willing to, to write him off. He had a, a shaky day. And, and I think from a recruiting standpoint, he was probably the least uh, recruited or least highly touted of, of the three. Um, and, and to your point, we may be in a position that whoever the number two is in, in September might not be the number two in October, who might not be the number two in November, who might not be the number two come the Bulls right. season. And that's a really interesting thing to to keep in mind. Uh, you know, I think it's just worth considering the fact that, you know, roster management long term and winning games in the short term don't always mesh. Correct. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's just, it's just going to be fascinating because, I mean, this is it, it, it's like we should we should never lose sight of the fact that, like, the amount of talent in this quarterback room. It's absurd. Is, absolutely absurd and like <laughs> this is a good problem to have like it's it's a challenging situation it's going to be a very delicate balancing act for ryan day but like this is a great problem to have that like oh, a oh, great problem how do we get our two five-star quarterbacks on the field <laughs> oh it's champagne problems all the way and i you know like there, there's absolutely no one with the exception of the players and their families that should be you know frustrated by by any of this you mentioned earlier about the uh, running scheme of the running backs. That was one of the questions we got uh, from listeners this week. Uh, Bucks 15 asked about how multiple do you think the blocking schemes will be this year to account for who is in the game? And then he also added to that, that if, if the line is shuffled as reported, do you think that would be a negative to have multiple schemes to match up for multiple running backs? Well, I, I think it's a question of, um, you know, do they want to remain a zone heavy team? And Ohio State's a very zone running heavy team, which actually allows you to, uh, you know, move blockers around fairly easily. Because, if, you know, anybody, if you've ever, you know, looked into how zone blocking works, it's all about the combination blocks and the trust you have and the ability to have that chemistry with the guy next to you. And, you know, a, a center and a guard working together on a wide zone play is no different than a guard and a tackle to be totally. There's no different technique. There's no different way to handle it. They're the, the same techniques are applied, whether you're on the right side, the left side, it is what it is. You know, the, the biggest challenge is building that chemistry. And so I think that that was one of the questions we saw, you know, and you guys got the chance to see this, you know, all tackle and hairy lineup essentially last week. Um, you know, I, one of the feelings I had in the back of my head was, well, if they're practicing, they better stick to that because that's, you know, unless there's something goofy happening from an injury standpoint and they just got to get through today, uh, you know, what you want to be doing this time of year, we're a couple weeks out, you're building that chemistry so that, you know, Harry and Thayer, I don't think have ever, you know, they did play together last year on the left side. The Harry was the left guard next to Thayer. So there is that chemistry there. But Harry certainly never played to Parrot next to Paris, who's never played next to Dewan, you know, uh, NPF and, and Bayer have certainly never played next to each other on an offensive line. And, you know, yes, they're all getting taught by the same coach and getting taught, to, um, taught the same techniques and the same calls, um, but they're building that chemistry. But that's a whole lot easier to do than moving somebody from right tackle to left guard or vice versa when you're in a gap scheme, which is, you know, I'm blocking that man and I'm going to have to on this play, if we run power or counter, my job is different based on the position I play. So it does allow for some versatility in personnel by staying so true to that, that zone scheme. 
Um, so my guess is that we'll probably see a lot of it also for the same reason of it's working. <laughs> you know, the, you look at the Ohio State offense the last few years, there's clearly something here, um, especially once Day took over the, the entire program and really started adapting more of the wide zone versus just the inside zone that, that Urban's teams really loved so much. You know, that's one place where I could see perhaps, um, you know, with Master Teague being the, the lead back. And, and, you know, unlike last year, there were some questions of, you know, is it Teague, is it Sermon? And, you know, obviously as the season went on, that kind of sorted itself out. I think it's fair to say that Master is most likely the, the starter. And, you know, I, I would imagine, given the amount of experience he carries he's had, they're expecting him to be the guy until proven otherwise. I'm, and, not, I'm not as sure about that, though. I'm not really not. Interesting. Because we've, seen, we've seen Mayan Williams at the front of a line at basically every practice we've been to. Hmm. And so I think there's a very real chance that Mayan Williams is going to be the starting running back against Minnesota. That would be fascinating, but that also goes a little bit to the question here because Mayan Williams looked real comfortable in that wide zone scheme. He looked real good running off tackle. You know, he showed a lot of that, the vision and burst that Trey Sermon was so, so good at. Um, you know, he seemed so comfortable with. And, you know, if Mayan Williams is that guy, it makes it easier on everybody else on that unit. It makes it easier for the line because they don't have to learn new schemes. Makes it easier on the quarterbacks who've been practicing that for the last couple of years. Makes it easier on the receivers. So, you know, if that's the case, sure. Like, that's a that's a great situation for Ohio State to be in. And again, like we already said about the, the, the bootleg game from the quarterbacks, makes that a lot easier as well. I was curious to get your perspective, too, on kind of why you think Ohio State would make these changes they're making on the offensive line because my first thought when I when I saw this offensive line is I'm thinking, well they're they're doing this to bully people in the run game because you just look at the amount of size that's on that offensive line now. You bring in you know, Dewan Jones. I mean Thayer and Power Thayer and Paris are both really powerful guys moving into those those guard spots. And I just think you look at the 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 size across the board. Like this is an offensive line that should absolutely maul people. But I thought it was interesting that Dwayne Haskins actually quote tweeted my tweet about it. And and he, his response was coach day throwing the ball every play with a crying laughing emoji. So when you see changes like this, do you think it's more for the benefit of the run game or for pass protection? I think it's actually, in theory, it's for pass protection. And that's because you saw, um, you know, last year, the last two years, as good as that offense has been, they still gave up a lot of sacks, right? You know, they, this is not a team. And part of that is, you know, the, the NFL analysts that will tell you that fields couldn't process. A lot of it's the scheme, right? When you're running a lot, they run a lot of play action down the field, wait for guys to get open type of concepts. That means a quarterback standing there, in the pocket, waiting and waiting a lot longer than guys who are quick, get the ball out, quick, get the ball out, quick, get the ball out, you know, like, and and that makes a difference in terms of what your protection has to look like. And there are two ways you can kind of solve for that. One is you really scheme it up and you build in all these extra protections. You know, this is something I wrote about in the off season of how much, how difficult it is to carry extra protections you know you know this is sorry for the 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 diversion here but 
you know, I think they're, you know, one of the things that I found really interesting this year when, and things I've been looking at when I, you know, try to learn about the game, you know, one of the big differences between the NFL still in college football is the protection. And what I mean by that is in college football, there are still limits on the amount of time that you can spend practicing, right? You're still turning guys over every year. There's amount of time that coaches can spend in the off season with their guys. And sure, with some of the news rules in the CBA for guys, you know, for anyone who follows the NFL, there's less practice time, but NFL guys, they'll have 12, 15 different protections in the playbook. And they might spend like right now, some NFL team as we're recording. This is spending a practice installing a six man protection that they're not planning on actually using until week 11 against the Vikings because of something their offensive line coach saw on film in, in, in February, you know, like that's, that's how the NFL works in college. You've only got a couple six man protections. Maybe one of them is a play action. And so this is why you always, you know, I always laugh whenever you see a team running a play action pass on third and nine, you go, no one believes that's going to run. They're, they're running the ball. Why are you faking the handoff? And it's because that's the only way they can get that many guys protecting the passer. And, you know, that's the only protection scheme they've got to get that enough guys there. So you see these kind of like square peg round hole schemes coming through and you can make a choice as a, as a coaching staff, we're going to install more scheme or we're going to install different players. And I think that's what we're seeing from Ohio state is they're betting on their talent, which happens pretty much in, in pretty much every game they play until you get to the, you know, that last game of the season, they're going to have enough of an advantage that you're going to bet on the talent that Ohio state's bringing to the table. And now you can say, great, we'll face a, a great pass rushing three technique defensive tackle. Go ahead. You're against Thierry Munford or Paris Johnson. You, you mentioned like have a zone blocking, like it doesn't matter as much like between being a tackle or guard in terms of a run game. Like how much do you think it helps to have guys at those guard positions who like have played tackle before in terms of pass protection? Yeah, it definitely makes a difference because, you know, they're able to handle that, you know, those different types of, of speed rushers. And, you know, I, this is another thing along the same lines is, you see opponents, you know, think about where did Baron Browning line up last year, right? We saw Baron Browning lining up all over the field. That yeah. For a defense that didn't do a whole lot, you know, from a scheme perspective, on third downs, they came up with a bunch of different ways to rush the passer. And you saw Baron Browning lining up at edge. You saw him lining up over the center. You saw him lining up on the other side. And that's the name of the game right now. And it's, it's we're not going to, you know, the, the whole idea of the blind side, and it's Lawrence Taylor versus the left tackle. That's gone. Because defenses have said, all right, you're going to pay a left tackle, you know, a fortune to be your franchise. I'm just going to put, spend Chase Young on the other side. Like, why am I going to waste him running at your all your Hall of Fame left tackle when your right tackle stinks? Or if your tackles are great, but your guards stink, I'm just going to rush him up the middle. You know, we've seen this, you know, with uh, guys like Jadavian Clowney in the NFL. All of a sudden on third down, they're not lining up at, at right end. They're lining up at nose tackle. Right. And, and I think that's part of the development of the game is you can't just say, well, our tackle or especially our left tackles, they're the pass blockers and our guards are the run blockers. That doesn't work anymore. And when you get into these really high stakes games where you're playing against not only teams of talent, but teams that can coach or teams with good coaching. And I'm thinking about Alabama. I'm thinking about Clemson. I'm thinking about Georgia very specifically here. When you go against those teams and their talent level is pretty similar they also scheme it up. So they're going to have a first round guy going against your left guard in pass protection. 
you better have somebody who can take him one on one. You meant you mentioned like both teams like Alabama, Clemson, Georgia. Like so it it always makes me laugh this time of year. Like how much the coaches talk about like got to prepare for Minnesota, got to prepare for Minnesota. Cause like you have to, <laughs> you have to do the things now. Like if you're Ohio state, like in a modern world where it's like, you're competing for the national title of four over teams, like the things you're doing now have to be geared toward trying to beat Alabama and Clemson at the end of the year. Right. Yes. 100%. But like part of that is so much of that is recruiting. Right. You know, the, I, I think we saw this. I've written extensively, and we've talked about it extensively. Oh, what? When this is not to, to drone on more, more about Carrot Cones and the defense, although we are going to transition to talk about that, I think. But yeah. you know, the, we didn't see a whole lot from that defense from a scheme perspective until they played Clemson. And as soon as the Clemson game came out, all of a sudden it was, "Hey, look at all these new pages in the playbook. Look at all these different linemen. Oh, hey, what's Latham Ransom doing in the game?" Oh, look, look at that. That's a, that's a new lineup. Oh, oh, oh. And, and I think that's a huge, that's so much a part of these programs and how they operate. It's not just Ohio state, you know, Alabama's thinking the same thing. Clemson's, I mean, Clemson's for sure thinking the same thing. They're in the same, they're in an even easier boat than Ohio state this year, you know, maybe excluded where they start with Georgia, but you know, you could easily convince me that Clemson loses by 20 to Georgia and still makes the CFP. Right. So yeah. their whole game is setting up for January, setting up for December 31st. And so how do you prepare and how do you build on top of it? So from a scheme perspective, you've mastered the basics and now you show something new come that CFP game. As you mentioned, we should transition to talking about the defense here because uh, we got a lot of questions from our listeners about the defense. But I wanted to start by asking you kind of about the bullet position because you just wrote about that. Uh, just on Tuesday before we recorded this. And, you know, it, it's been such a talking point. You know, Colin and I always joked about how, like, you know, if if the bullet doesn't exist this year, like we just have to be forbidden from ever talking about it again because we've spent <laughs> three years talking about this position and we haven't seen it the last two years. But I think both of us really believe that this is going to be a very real part of the defense this year. What do you think the bullet is going to look like this year? I think it's going to look a lot like the position that Sean Wade played two years ago and that Marcus Williamson played last year. The big difference is where they line up. Um, you know, yes, this is a, you know, people talk so much about, oh, it's a hybrid. It's a this, it's a whatever. They're going to play in space. Well, yes and no. Um, it's not Darren Lee or Tyler Moeller or the star that, you know, came at Ohio State, Jermail Hines and all these other guys that people want to compare them to because that guy played in the slot. Right, that guy played across from a slot receiver. This position is going to play across from a tight end, and so it's really replacing a linebacker. And the way you have to think about it is, you know, this defense is going to go from unbalanced to balanced, in my opinion. And, and what I mean there is, there's still going to be that free safety in the middle of the field. There's still going to be two linebackers, on, or I'm sorry, two corners, one on either side of the field. You're still going to have your six-man interior, which is your four defensive linemen and your two inside backers, your Mike and your Will. And then on either side of them, the guys that are going to make all the rest of them right are that bullet and that cover safety. Everybody else's job is going to be very similar from play to play. Yes, a linebacker might blitz. Maybe a corner does something different. All that. The guys who are going to make this defense dynamic 
are that bullet and that cover safety because they're the guys that are going to have different skill sets. They're going to be able to fit in the run game and play like a linebacker and fill the D gap outside that tight end, shed a block, make a play. They're going to be the ones that are covering a slot receiver or somebody downfield on a seam route. They're going to be the ones that rotate into, you know, playing deep safety. And so I, I think that's the versatility that we haven't seen from the defense before where they only had one of those guys, really. They had so many, you know, they had a lot of talent at linebacker. Pete Werner did a, a lot of different things when he was playing the Sam position, which the Bullets essentially replacing. And I think we saw a little bit of what the Bullet could be when Pete was playing there. You know, I, I think we go back to how we all feel like we got tricked into believing in the, you know, the fairy tale of the Bullet with Jeff Halfley and Greg Madison a few years ago, right? Yep. And then it turned out, oh, Pete Werner is still playing Sam linebacker. And I think the reality, like, the reality could be that Pete Werner was just really good at playing Sam linebacker. Right. And having Pete Werner playing Sam linebacker was better than having Brandon White or whoever else playing bullet. Right. Now they've recruited that. And they've got us, they can say, we've got a whole bunch of linebackers that have never really seen the field. But we've also got a lot of talented DBs that we can do a lot of interesting things with. And I think that's what this defense is going to – how it's going to be different from what we've seen in the last couple of years. So do you think the, the cover safety, do you think that position is going to look different this year by virtue of adding that bullet on the other side? Or do you think the cover safety is going to pretty much operate the same way it has the last couple of years? I think where it's going to look, where it's going to look different is – when it gets into, they can play too deep coverage now. And we saw that a little bit against Clemson, um, especially in the fourth quarter. Uh, essentially in that game, Latham Ransom was the bullet. You know, you want to look at what this, what the bullet looks like, go watch the fourth quarter against Clemson and watch what Latham Ransom's doing in the slot. And you've got Marcus Williamson playing, uh, you know, as, as a safety, as like a true too deep safety next to Josh Proctor. And they're doing different things. They were having, you know, one of them's dropping into the box while the other one drops deep. They're each playing a deep half in coverage. They're doing some interesting things that you could tell Trevor Lawrence is going, wait a second. These guys don't do that. They didn't do that last year, and they didn't do that on film. Wait, what's happening? And, of course, Trevor Lawrence is good enough that eventually he still completed passes, but you didn't see the same ball coming out quick like, oh, I got it. I know what's coming here. I know where I'm going with the ball. There was, There's definitely enough of that hold up what's happening. And let's be honest, Trevor Lawrence isn't on the schedule this year for Ohio state. <laughs> right. <laughs> Bucks 15. had also asked about, you know, do you envision the bullet being the base part of a base defense or a traditional Sam sounds to me. And I, I mean, this is how I feel. I think the bullet is going to be the base defense. I don't, I don't, I think, I think there will be packages where they do have a third traditional linebacker up there. There might even be, four linebacker packages at, at times, but mm -hmm. I think the base is going to be having that bullet slash fifth defensive back, whatever you want to call it out there. Do you agree? I would. And I, I actually think what we'll see is I, I wouldn't be shocked if against teams, you know, Minnesota is a team that plays a lot of 12 personnel. So one running back, two tight end um, teams like that, that play a lot of bigger personnel. Wisconsin, of course, is one of those in those packages. I can see Ohio State playing with three linebackers, three traditional linebackers, and you might see the bullet stay on the field with the cover safety coming off. You know, that to me is something that we could see. Um, you know, 
I, I wouldn't be shocked there. And, and it really the bullet becomes a Sam linebacker. And, you know, we saw this last year where Justin Hilliard and Baron Browning were on the field at the same time. Baron Browning's the Sam and Justin Hilliard was effectively playing the role of the slot corner or the cover safety, you know? And so I, I think it'll be very matchup dependent. I think this is actually one area where Kerry Combs' time in the NFL is going to be hugely valuable. If he learned anything up there and, and he, based on who he was coaching with, with, with Dean Pease and Mike Frabel and what they do on defense with the Tennessee Titans, they match up. And what that means is if you're in 12 personnel and we know you're likely to run, we're going to be in, in, a, in a setup that's going to be able to match it. If we know that you're in 11 or, you know, you have four wide receivers out there, even if it's short yardage, we're going to match up. We're not going to be the stubborn and, you know, hey, we, we're, we're a 4-3 team. This is what we do. You know, I don't think that's going to – that's not what the Tennessee Titans have done. And I think that's based off of a little bit of what we heard from Combs when he talked to the media a couple weeks ago. I think, you, you know, you, you shot the video, Dan, I'm pretty sure, of, of him saying, we're going to have the best 11 on the field for the win that play. That was a new thing to me that we really haven't seen a lot from Ohio State's defense in the last two years. And that's where I think things could look different. I agree with that. I'm really intrigued to see how that plays out because I, I feel like the past few years, we hear a lot about different packages, but then they end up just kind of playing the same 11 guys that they trust. I'm, I'm interested to see, like, do they really commit to this idea of playing more matchups this year? Because I, I think they have the personnel to do it because I think, you know, if you look at these guys, like, again, you look at those bullets, like you've got Ronnie Hickman and Craig Young and Court Williams. Those are three guys that all have different skill sets. You look at those cover safeties. You've got Marcus Williamson and Leif and Ransom and Cam Martinez. Again, these are guys who all have somewhat different backgrounds, somewhat different skill sets. So I think they have the pieces there, but if they wanted mix and match personnel from week to week to, to try to match up with the opponent, I think they have the capability to do that. And I'm interested to see, do they go all in on that or do they get to a point where they trust certain guys and then they just kind of stick with those guys that they're comfortable with? Yeah, I think that's definitely a possibility, but I don't think it will be across the board. And what I mean by that is 2019, you had three studs in the defensive backfield. You had, you had Okuda, Arnett and Jordan Fuller, who I'm pretty sure they would trust with their lives in Jordan Fuller, right? Like they, yeah. they would have trusted him to do anything. Pretty much. And yeah. that meant we're, we're, you're going to make us right. So we're going to play around with the fronts. We're going to play around with our linebackers. We're going to run a three, three, five. We're going to have the rush bed. We're going to do all that because we know behind it, you guys are going to make us right. And, and that's not something that's a luxury. That not every team gets that, and as sure as much as people want to say this is Ohio, this is the Ohio State, and they recruit, and this is a failure of recruiting. Like, no, man, like you just don't get to pick. You know, you don't get to plan on having two first round corners every year. So, so you know, you need to have that flexibility of, okay, what's going to make us right? Uh, it, but it is still tied to those other guys. So, you know, I could see a situation. I'm really curious to see what they do with, with a dime package because. Dime packages are, are really common in the NFL. Uh, the Titans, where, where Combs was, ran that a lot. It looks like a 4-2-5, and the difference being, you know, I can see that bullet, say it's Craig Young, say it's Ronnie Hickman on third downs. They're effectively playing inside linebacker, right? That's something Alabama does a lot. 
that w- yep. with Saban's defense, where they base a lot and they play a lot of four-two-five. And when they really play, when they play a, a passing team, they don't, you know, they they don't uh, play a, a different four-two-five. They play a dime and they remove another linebacker, and they've got essentially a, a, a defensive back playing inside. So I'm really curious to see what those guys that you all mentioned, because they do all have such versatile skill sets. Where do we see Lathan Ransom lining up? Where do we see Court Williams? Where do we see Craig Young? Where do we see these guys? And how does that even change throughout the season? I, I'm actually excited to see what they do and what they try because, you know, this could this could go from being a pretty static, predictable piece of, of Ohio State scheme to one of the more dynamic elements uh, for us to monitor throughout the season. Another thing I'm interested to get your perspective on, I, I just wrote about it before we recorded this. I, I have a feeling we're going to see a lot of Haskell Garrett and Teron Vincent on the field mm-hmm. together at defensive tackle, because I think they're going to be Ohio state's two best defensive tackles, but these are both guys who have basically only played free tech before this year, which means mm-hmm. one of those guys, or maybe both of them in different situations is going to be playing nose tackle. If they're going to get those two on the field. I know from talking to you about it before, you you don't feel like there's a huge difference between the two positions. If you ask Larry Johnson, he says there is a difference. What's kind of your perspective on that of like how easily they can move guys between those two spots? Well, there's definitely a difference in terms of what they're dealing with play to play. And what I mean by that is that nose tackle is getting double teamed pretty much every play. Yep. Right. And so what, you know, so from Larry's perspective and and Larry has forgotten more about defensive line play today than I'll ever know about, you know, like that he's as good as you'll ever find at this position. So, you know, he's always right. Just let's start there. But whereas I think about it as we, as, as people looking at the program, think about it, um, you know, what the big difference in Ohio state's scheme is, is they're asking the front four, to shoot the gaps and penetrate. Not every defensive line does that. I think there's a lot of confusion of like, you know, Hey, why, you know, that, that defensive tackle is no good. Well, his job is not necessarily to go make a play in the back. His job might be to hold up the blocker and let that linebacker behind him go make a tackle. You know, like when, when Ohio state plays Tulsa in week, you know, week three, you're going to see a lot. You're probably not going to hear Tulsa's defensive line. Like their name's called very often you're going to hear some of those other guys behind them. They're going to be making all the plays. And that's by design. Ohio State's defense is different. Ohio State said, we're going to go get studs. And we're going to put them all across the defensive line, whether it's at nose tackle or rush end, whatever it might be. And we're going to tell them, go, get upfield. And and I think that's one of the biggest, that's why there's less of a difference, I think, um, in this system than maybe in some other defenses. So all that's to say, I'm, interested to see yes how they keep both those guys on the field together the real question is going to be how do they individually hold up to taking double team after double team right and right. you know tommy togi i was so good at it tommy togi is also one of the strongest human beings on the planet yes. so <laughs> he's maybe not the best you know person to benchmark against uh you know in terms of what can someone can handle but you know i'm sure these guys are they're, they're obviously big and strong and and technically sound um, how much are they going to wear down? And I think that's really where you have to just kind of keep in mind as you play them. I know Ohio State likes to play their defensive linemen in the sense of go hard as long as you can because we've got depth who can spell you when you need it. If you're putting Haskell and, and Teron Vincent out there at the same time, 
when you take those two off the field, there's going to be a drop off. Right. And so managing that is going to be crucial. Got a few different questions about Minnesota. You know, one one of them from Nutta Buckas was basically about the fact that, you know, week one, if the linebackers aren't comfortable in their run fits, that could be concerning because Minnesota has the best returning running back in the Big Ten in Mohamed Ibrahim. So, Kyle, from your perspective, how do you feel like those linebackers are going to hold up on week one? Are they going to be comfortable about out there, or do you think that inexperience at linebacker is going to show? Well, the one thing that this system has shown that it's proficient at, and it because it stresses this more than anything else, and you, you kind of saw that rear its ugly head in a number of ways last season, is it's gapped out to stop the run. And what I mean by that is, everybody knows where they're supposed to be in the fit because they don't complicate it too much. And it kind of goes back to an old school way of thought, which is if you got one high safety, it means you've got eight guys in the box, which means you've got a guy for every gap, which means you your gap sound and you don't have to play around with it all that much. As soon as you go to a too high look and you remove one of those guys, now you got to figure out where you giving up the gap. And, you know, we could have a whole conversation about, some of the games that we could play and teams are playing. And that's kind of the new schematic revolution happening at the next level. Um, you know, for anybody interested, go look up how Brandon Staley has become a head coach in the NFL so quickly. You know, he was the defensive coordinator, John Carroll, four years ago. Now he's a head coach of the Chargers. You know, there's a reason for that. But all that's to say with Ohio State, this is still going to be a single high scheme. And I think we won't, you know, everything we just said about showing too high and rolling guys around and making the, you know, the bullet and the cover sheet to making it right. We might not see that a whole lot against Minnesota and be a little bit disappointed because I'm going to imagine they're going to sit there and go, fine, based on what you guys are going to do, we're going to play three linebackers and we're just going to sit with one free high safety because we we don't worry about your receivers at all. We know you got a great back. So we're just going to make sure we're gap sound and we're fitted out. And so personally, and, and those guys that are there, whether it's Taraja with, you know, uh, you know, Pope, whether it's Gant, whoever it is, those guys have also been learning from Al Washington and playing in this scheme for two years. So I, I don't, I don't imagine that there's going to be a huge drop off in that aspect right away. Going to make, going to make sure we all, all remember here. To, we're not going to know if a bullet's real until week two, if the bullet's not <laughs> right, out there right. much in week one, we, we can't assume that it was just a ruse until we see what right. happens against Oregon. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's exactly right. Minnesota is actually probably one of the worst teams to judge that against. Buckeye Trapped himself also asked, he said, what do we need to see from the defense week one to show the unit has improved much from last season? Like specifically from your perspective, Kyle, like what improvements are you going to be looking for in those first game or let's say first two games since we've already established the fact that Minnesota might not be the best judge of where this defense actually is? Well, I think what I'll be looking for, and this may not be an improvement, um, but what I'll be looking for is what are they doing from a coverage perspective on early downs? And what I mean by that is this team pretty much on every first and second down or, you know, ran man free coverage. So, you know, which is just man to man with a free safety in the middle of the field, or they ran a straight cover three zone where they're dropping to it. That was it for two years. Pretty, yeah. pretty much. 
And we saw a little bit in the spring game of, of they mixed it up a little bit. They added some new wrinkles. The way that they handled that man coverage was a little bit different from play to play. That's what I'll be looking for is, you know, like we, like we just said, Minnesota may not be the best team to judge what this defense can ultimately be just because of the scheme. But I want to see, are they just sitting in cover one and man free on first down? Are they just sitting and playing, you know, cover three and just dropping in that same zone they played for the last couple of years? You know, that's what I'll be paying attention to week one, because I, you know, there, there's two ways they can look at it. One is we're going to continue to do it to, to bait Oregon into thinking that's who we are, which could they real be, be it. They could also go the opposite tack and say, we're going to show a whole bunch of stuff and make Oregon go, wait a second. What is this defense now? We spent all the last two years prepping for, and now all of a sudden, a week before the game, they're showing us a whole bunch of different stuff. So that's really what I'll be watching for in that week one. Glass City Buckeyes asked, how much free-free five will we see from a Buckeye defense? Do, do you think we'll see much of that this year? Well, I think we've seen it on third downs, and I wouldn't be shocked if we if we continued to. Um you know, that seemed to be a really interesting uh, way of getting guys. And a lot of it goes back to what we've already talked to, of getting guys in different spots. So you didn't just have your stud defensive end against the left tackle. Right. And it's, you know, that that's a way that you can get Tyreek Smith over a guard. You can get Zach Harrison across from the center. Um, but I don't think we see a three, three, five on any, anywhere other than on third and long. And it's, and it's really just a, a pass rush package. Yeah, I mean, I think my question of that would be like, you know, who is your Baron Browning this year? I mean, is it a is it a Jack right. Sawyer? Like, I mean, you've right. got you, you've got all this talent at defensive end. Like, I think last year you would have been a lot more inclined to to take someone else off the field for a linebacker because you had so much talent at linebacker. I think this year, to me, you're probably going to look more in those situations to get more of those defensive ends on the field. And maybe it is something more exotic than just the traditional four defensive end rushman package. Right. But to me, like to me, if, if I was, if I was Larry Johnson and if I, if I'm Kerry Combs, I'm thinking about like, how do we get Jack Sawyer involved? How do we get JT Tuimolo involved? Like how do we find different ways to get these uber talented defensive ends involved in our pass rush scheme? Well, yeah. I, I think the, the way to think about it is it's not a three, three, five or a four, two, five. It's a six and a five. You've got your front six defenders and they're different from your back five. Now, granted, whoever's dropping in coverage from that front six is going to be attached to the coverage somehow, but where and how you line those, those front six up doesn't really change. And, and so, you know, your point is that three guys, three down linemen and three linebackers that are standing up, um, you know, is it a four, two, five, which is just, if you remember, what was it four or five? I guess now it's five years ago. Um, you know when Draymond Jones and Sam Hubbard and Tyquan Lewis and that whole squad of guys, you know, they ran a five-man they front did, on yep. third down with one linebacker. I think uh, I think it might have been um, was it Raekwon was the linebacker behind them, or uh, that would have been twenty eighteen. So yeah, it might it might have been yeah, no, might have been Raekwon. yeah, it was twenty. It might have been Baker or yeah, Lee Harris or someone like that. Yeah, exactly. And, and, but so there's different ways that you can do it. And, and, you know, you know, again, Larry Johnson's going to figure out a way to get the best players in the best positions. And, you know, that even goes back to the earlier question of Teron Vincent and, and Haskell Garrett. If they're two of your best pass rushers, they're going to be on the field. 
So yep. maybe you're <laughs> so that's going to dictate how they line up. It's going to be interesting. I mean, even a guy like a Javante Jean Baptiste, like maybe he's a guy that could right. do some linebacker. I mean, they, he was a, a linebacker, like by some people when they recruited him. And so, like, he's a right. guy that maybe could even be that rush linebacker. So there's a lot of fascinating possibilities. I'm I'm really interested to see what they come up with with a, a pass rush pass rushing packages this year because you'd think you combine all this talent with the creativity of Larry Johnson and you, you would just think that, you know, it should be a very dangerous unit. Absolutely. I, I, I think we can still expect that unit to, to, to produce pressure. I think the question is going to be if, and how much do they actually have to send a blitz? Because when they've got to start sending blitzes, that starts affecting what's behind them. And if you're still breaking in a young secondary the last thing you want to have to do is is bring some guys in coverage on on pressure uh, and leave those guys out in island. So it'll be interesting to just to see it from that perspective. How much are they actually blitzing versus relying on those front four and getting production out of whatever that front four is? DVO forty five asked, "Do you see the defense ever transitioning to more of a quote stop the pass slash RPO style defense?" under Ryan day, you, you probably understand what he means better than I do. So I'll just let you take it away. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, I think I know who this, the, the, the pseudonym of this, this question, uh, or of this, this, uh, poster, what they're, what they're getting at. And essentially it goes back to this idea of, you know, high state's defense has been there to stop the run. And that goes to that single high set, right? They're going to get eight in the box. Go look at the Alabama game for as much of a disaster as people want to paint it. What was the quote from Najee Harris that we got where he was, you know, I got my ass kicked in that game or something like that, yeah. where, you know, he, he, he was, he was hurting. And that's because Ohio state still did a really good job of stuffing the run. That's because that's what they prioritize is the number one thing. We're going to be sound against the run. And I think part of that is still a little bit of a, a philosophical, um, you know, mindset change going back to maybe the end of the Greg Schiano era um, you know, at that point, if you remember there and, and that, you know, you can go look at there's a, there was a game against Maryland that was a, a total barn burner that maybe, you know, a lot of people remember is when Dwayne Haskins, I think he set, no, maybe he's, you know, Dwayne set some crazy rest, record for passing in that game. And the final was 56 to 54 yeah. or something, something absurd. But, um, you know, while Ohio State was throwing the ball all over the field, Maryland was running the ball all over the field. I think Anthony McFarland had two 80-yard runs in that game or something yeah. like that for, <laughs> for the Terps. So, you know, that year in 2018, the Buckeye defense was so bad against the stop and the run that I, I think when Jeff Halfling, Greg Madison, now Washington came in, it was, okay, we're going to get this solved first, and we're going to make sure that we don't give that up. And then what we saw is, as at the same time, teams – you know, especially at, at the highest level, like in Alabama, we're saying, oh, you know, it's a really great way to, to move the ball. Let's let's RPO the heck out of these teams that want to stop the run. And that just, you know, it was the worst possible matchup. So the question I think here is when does Ohio State start to maybe ease up on that stop the run versus stop the pass? And, and again, it, it goes a little bit to the, the too high. Do you play with two deep safeties? When and how do you do that? Um, and, and so – I, I don't know if they'll ever do it. I think we'll find out probably by midseason. We'll know if that's something that they're trying to do with this system. It's certainly something that you see in the NFL where teams will say now, hey, if we're playing Pat Mahomes, we're not going to – and we know they're going to they're gonna, uh, run RPOs. 
we're not going to let Pat Mahomes throw the ball all day. We're going to make him hand off to Damian Williams and whoever they're, you know, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, which good players, but certainly not as dangerous as Pat Mahomes throwing the ball to Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey, right? So it's that mentality of like, we're not just going to stop the run and be stubborn against, we're going to stop the run at all costs. It's, you know what? We'll let you hand the ball off. We'll let you get four yards because that's a lot better than you completing a slant to Devontae Smith. I do feel like we talked a lot about the Alabama game the last time we we had you on here, but you did mention it and we did get a question from Silver Sniper and he asked, do you you think Ohio State schemed things up as best as possible in the national championship game, given, you know, all the factors that were going into it? Or did you feel there was a lot left to be desired from a plan the coaches came up with and executed? So now that you've had seven months to digest (laughs) it all, like (laughs) if there anything that you look back on now and go, man, Ohio state really should have done something different in that game. Well, I think they should have done something different. (laughs) I don't know what they could have done. I think that those are the, that's the the difference that I would say today is, you know, I think as time's gone on and, and the, the cloud of where we sat, and we learned more about just how difficult last year was on everybody in every program. Yeah. Um, you know, and the challenges that a coach like Kerry Combs faced where he, you know, was still getting to know his guys and meeting them when COVID came on. And, and so you're not going to be able to run a whole lot of different stuff. And and I really do believe that the, the decision was made. We just got to run it back from what we did last year. We don't really have a choice to do much different, despite the fact that, we don't have Chase Young and we don't have Jeff Okuda and, and Damon Arnett and Jordan Fuller. So we're, we're kind of stuck in this, this no man's land of like, is that the best scheme for this talent? Maybe not, but it's the scheme they know. And so I think we saw, I think it's obvious that this, that, that program spent all year thinking about Clemson. I don't think that's in doubt. I think you can look at that game and know that, Ohio State staff thought all year about how to beat Clemson. Yep. And I think, you know, they shot all their bullets in that game. And when they came up against Alabama, given all of, again, the challenges of guys were out due to COVID, they couldn't practice with full staff. They obviously didn't bring a full roster to that game. I just don't know how much they actually felt like we can execute on a defensive standpoint. You saw a really vanilla game plan against the best offense we may have ever seen. (laughs) And that's just not a great, great situation. So yes, Ohio State should have done more. I still don't know if they could have done more to answer the question. Our last two questions come from Tussie. I'll start with the second one and let you field this first, Jones. What are you most looking forward to this season? Yeah, um... That's a good question. I'm most looking forward to going to a football game. Like, <laughs> like I, one of my friends, you know, called me out on this midway through the season last year. They're like, this is probably the first game, first season you haven't been to a football game since when? And I, 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 the childhood, you know, I'm 36 years old. And last year was the first year that I hadn't attended a game in person and watched people play football since I was probably eight seven, eight years old, something like that. Um, and so I can't wait to go back to the stadium. I can't wait. You know, I, I'm hoping to get to Columbus. I've got my flight booked and my hotel booked to, to get to Columbus for the Oregon game. Just that, that 
is what I'm looking forward to the most. And, and, you know, you better believe that I'm going to be early for kickoff and I'm actually going to seek script Ohio. I'm not going to be late. Like I usually am running from a tailgate or doing all that stuff. Um, I, I think that's the part, you know, I'm, I'm going to IO everyone that OH is even though I I'm typically one of the, uh, snooty people who gets bored with it after a while, you know, this year, I don't think I'm going to get tired of it. So um, that may be not what the person was asking, but, you know, I, I'm also one of these people for as much as I love and I take this sport seriously and, and love to get in the weeds of it. I love the absurdity of this sport and I love <laughs> all the weirdness and I, I can't wait to experience some of that. That's what I'm looking forward to. No, I think that's a great answer. Cause I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm right there with you. Like just to like, I mean, I feel like I got to knock on wood, like a normal football season. Cause like COVID's not over, like the Delta variant right. is lurking right. out here. Like there's no guarantee that we're going to get a normal college football season, but I do think it's going to be much more normal than what Correct. we had last year. And so I'm Correct. right there with you. I mean, I'm, I mean, I think we're all excited for that, that, that first game of a shoe against Oregon to see fans in there again. Like, I mean, I was one of the lucky ones who got to go to just about every game last year, but mm-hmm. it was weird to be in the stands <laughs> with no fans. Like it was not the same to do post-game interviews with the players on zoom is not the same thing. So just to, you know, it's been great the past couple of weeks, like with camp starting up again to like be going yep. to practices, to be talking to players and, and just to have a whole normal season of this. Like, I mean, I mean, at this time a year ago, we didn't think there was going to be any football in the fall. And it was just so, yeah. so horrible. So I'm just so glad that like we've spent the past hour talking about actual football that's going to happen in a couple of weeks yep. and not about yep. COVID and Kevin Warren and <laughs> everything, everything else that we could be talking about. Tussie also asked, you might have, you might have a, 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 perspective on this too because you've you've been around longer than i have <laughs> tussie asked if you had to host the show with one of the moderators who are you hosting mm. with for me I, I i i gotta go with two guys i i gotta go with my guys hovenot and seattle linga because you oh two, yeah you two have been around since i've started you comment on almost everything i write and you are just always around so I, i've got to shout out those two because they're awesome. They, they're just always around They're They're always contributing to the site. And I think are both uh, very positive uh, influences on our community. I would agree. I, I definitely, those guys, uh, you know, have been huge followers of my work um, and always, you know, add to the conversation. Um, so I want to, you know, definitely thank those two home not in Seattle. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if he's still uh, a mod, but Navy buck who, who's been on the boards for a long time, um, you know, I actually had the chance to meet him at, at the Northwestern game a couple of years ago. Great guy. Um, so he, he's actually someone who I can say that not only would I like to host the show with, but, you know, had a beer with and uh, it was great to meet him in person. Um, so those were two. And then this is definitely a um, asterisk, but our, our good friend Andy Vance, I believe, is still technically one of the mods. So, Andy, anytime I can you know share a beer and hang out with him, I'm going to I'm going to throw an asterisk on it and, and count him in this group too. And, and, and Andy is a podcast host. Now he's one of our most <laughs> of the 11 Dubcast now. So who knows any of those mods we just named it might be, <laughs> might be the next host of one of our podcasts. So big shout out uh, to, to the mods who are without a doubt, the unsung heroes 
without uh, question. Love and war, especially whenever we post a story about COVID or, or something <laughs> else that's controversial. They are yep. unsung heroes in there cleaning up the mess that uh, inevitably gets created. Definitely. Can't thank those guys enough. Kyle, can't thank you enough for joining the show this week. Uh, awesome conversation. Always love talking ball with you. Uh, thanks so much for uh, being a part of this uh, episode of uh, Real Pod Wednesdays. Thanks for having me. It's great to talk ball. Oh man, it's been, a, it's been the last hour doing so. I'm excited. I can't. Uh, still only like three weeks away. Now I'm now I'm going from like, oh, I can't believe it's happening. To all right, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's go. Let's line up. Only two more weeks. Two more. Two more weeks. That that Thursday <laughs> opener makes it feel a little bit closer. So just uh, just two more week. Just two more episodes of Real Pod Wednesdays to go before. Uh, we're going to see that, that first game. So uh, thanks again, Kyle, for joining me this week. Uh, everyone else, come back next week with uh, our new beat writer at 11 Warriors and uh, full-time co-host of Real Pod Wednesdays will be joining me on the show next week as we continue to count down the days until Ohio State's September season opener at Minnesota. So thanks so much for listening in, and I'll talk to you again next week.